glad that you're here. Uh, my name is Stephanie. I'm the lead pastor here, and I want to extend a special welcome to anyone who's maybe joining for one of the first few times. I know it takes courage to step in uh, to a new space, so we're so glad that you're here. I would love a chance to meet you. And then for those of you who, as Adobe mentioned, are maybe thinking about a next step here at Mill City as you've been connecting, covenant membership could be one of those for you. And so, like she said, I would love to talk to you about that. We see membership as the people who are saying yes to our mission and taking ownership of our mission in the deepest way. And we'd love to share with you just a little bit more of what that's like. So let me know if you're even just curious about it. Would love to give you that information. Um, so yes, I'd like to go to Banff. Um, I, I think at this point, though, I've been on too many road trips. <laughs> like, I just can't do it anymore. I, when I was in my 20s, I thought it would be really fun because I looked at a map and I was like, look how close all those cities are on the East Coast. So we got in a, a van, it was my early 20s, everybody. And we got in a van and we drove out there and we drove from here to DC up, up through, you know, Boston and all the way up through New York, everything, all the way up to Maine. Then we drove back through Toronto and then back past Niagara Falls and all that stuff, all the way back to Minnesota in eight days. Right? Whoops. I mean, we just, you know, Come on, everyone remembers being in your early 20s. Some of you still are. You know, learn. Just learn from my decision. It was a lot. It was a lot. Somehow we made it. My minivan, uh, we had a minivan at the time, packed it all in. The, the van made it back, but the brakes really didn't because we had no experience driving in the mountains, and so they were squealing, and it was, it was you know, it was a learning experience. Um, but when we took this trip, in, when I, I was in my early 20s, we didn't really have GPS on our phone that was going to help us with this. So we went to AAA, and we got a triptych. Do you remember these? They still have them. They still have them. They printed it out on paper, like, but like a lot of paper, like a ream of paper to help us get from here in that crazy road trip and all the way back detailed instructions in the triptych. So you can still go to AAA and you can get that. So this, this has a little something to do with the conversation I want us to have today. We're in this conversation called Why Church? Why, why be a part of the church, big C as I often call it, the global church? Uh, but why be a part of a local church like Mill City Church or others? I really want to encourage you to listen back to these sermons because what it's helping us do is to articulate the answer to this question that I think is really important in this time. Our friend uh, Dr. Joel Lawrence was here early in the conversation, and he said, there's kind of a why church moment right now. And I think that that's true. And we talked about how if we are empowered by the Holy Spirit, then we can be a church that brings people a sense of hope in Jesus, that offers a sense of belonging in community, but also purpose on mission. Hope, belonging, and purpose. This is supposed to be good news. But the truth is, if the church of God and the church of Jesus is supposed to be good news, that news is not always reaching people's ears or their experience in a way that seems good sometimes. And we, and we know that. We've paid attention, most of us, right? We know that at sometimes people see the local church at best as irrelevant and at worst like toxic and destructive. But that story is not the only story and it doesn't have to be ours. Because I think, and today this is kind of my answer to the question, I think that the, the church can be a vehicle for hope and purpose and belonging, and it should be good news to the world, not bad news, but there is only one way that that's going to happen. I really think there's only one way, and that is if, if the church is led by the Holy Spirit, intentionally led by the Holy Spirit. If the church is led by the Holy Spirit, then we can join in being good news to the world that God loves, to be people of love and hope and restoration and truth and forgiveness the things that we've experienced because of our relationship with Jesus. 
And so the question that we are going to ask together today is how do we listen and respond so that we can intentionally be led by the Holy Spirit to be people of good news to the world that God loves? That's the question I'm going to look at today. But it's challenging, isn't it? It's challenging to listen to God. How many of you have had to make a difficult decision in this last year or two? Anyone else? Okay, a few people, myself included. It's tough, isn't it? It's tough to make a decision. Then you're thinking, I know that God cares about my life and you're trying to discern. The reality is is that it's a challenging thing to listen and follow God's spirit in our lives. And it's challenging to know that individually but also communally as a church. But we at Mill City Church are up for that challenge to say, how do we follow God's leadership as we step into God's future for us? In the back of most Bibles, there's this, this little maps. Did, have you seen these before? That it's like maps of the, of the you know, different parts of the world back during Bible times. And then, then there's this map of Paul's missionary journeys. And when I was a kid, I'd get really bored during the sermons. Whoops. And I would start tra- tracing the, the little lines on the map, you know, with my finger and be like, ooh, ooh, they went through the water here. Ooh, that must have been interesting. And I, and I just kind of got daydreamy about that. And so when I grew up, it's kind of interesting, uh, I grew up, it's not surprising maybe, that thinking that at some point, Jesus would give me my map. And then I would know what I'm supposed to do. Like Paul got a map. We know that the early church has that map, right? It's kind of outlining what they did to the, for the church to spread and, in the early church in the book of Acts. And I thought, cool, Jesus, when's my map coming? <laughs> you know, like, so I can follow that and know where to go. But the reality is, is that the map was put together later, right? <laughs> Like, after they had gone on all these journeys, the map's like, okay, what did they do? And like, then they put it together for us here so we can follow along. So it's not shocking that some of us, we think, man, wouldn't it be nice if God would just download that map with the nice green and, and orange and blue lines? And wouldn't it be nice if God did that for us as a church? But the reality is, is we're not given a map, are we? But the good news is, is that that invites us to rely on a relationship with God, doesn't it? And and an invitation for us to say, well, I guess we're going to need Jesus then because we can't just take this map and go it alone. Following the Holy Spirit is challenging and we would rather have a map, but God gave us the Holy Spirit as a guide, but God also gave us each other to discern together and to have people that we grow in trust with so we can figure out how we step into what God wants for us individually, but also what God wants for us as a church. This is such a critical aspect. I want us to look today at a a story in the book of Acts again. We're we're looking at different parts of the letters and Acts, and today I want to look at the Acts. And we're looking at how the Holy Spirit was leading Paul and some of these early leaders because they didn't have a map. So how did they do that? What can we learn from that? And here's my answer just right off the bat for the question, why church today? Here's today's answer. Because the church intentionally following the lead of the Holy Spirit will be good news to the world around them. So if you have a Bible, we're going to look in Acts 16 at at why we can say that this is true. How does a local church like ours move into community and step with the Spirit following what God's doing in our lives? If we look at Acts chapter 16, we're going to learn from this story that we see here. Now, when we talk about the book of Acts, people often say, oh, it's called Acts because it's the Acts of the Apostles. But some of you know that I like to say it's the Acts of the Holy Spirit and the Apostles were just trying to keep up. Like, that's what's actually going on here. And this story is showing how, these, how the Spirit is leading these early church leaders, the apostles, these leaders, and directing them where to go and what to do. 
So listen to what's happening here. Pay attention. It could seem a little weird at first when you're listening because they're talking about different cities and things. But, you know, if you want to open to the little map at the back, you can follow along. Otherwise, just imagine this. Imagine what's being described here in Acts 16. I'm going to read verse uh, 6 through 10. Paul and his companions traveled through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. Having been kept by the Holy Spirit. Okay, interesting. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Binthia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. Hmm. So then they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia, standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. And after Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once. This is in the middle of the night. Paul seen the vision. We got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So we see at first this group here is having trouble discerning where they should go. I hope that's comforting to us. <laughs> that at first they think, well, uh, I don't know. And then it says that they tried to, it says here that they tried to go to the province of Asia. And it says the text says that the Holy Spirit prevented them from performing any ministry at the time. Not totally sure what that means, but that's what we got. Then they traveled at least 100 miles only to find out that they couldn't do what they had set out to do. Can you imagine that? They went 100 miles. They're on like caravan. They're not on like a bullet train. Like they are on a caravan, and maybe we can just resonate with that. I have never had to walk 100 miles on foot just to find out I wasn't going in the right direction, but it feels like it sometimes, doesn't it? <laughs> like we have gone a long way, and then, wait, is this not where I was supposed to go? So they come to the border of province of Asia where they meet Binthia, the province of Binthia, and it says they couldn't do anything in Asia, so maybe they should go to Binthia, and then they get there to continue their work, and nope, Scripture says the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. Now, I, I genuinely want some more explanation at this part. What do you mean the Spirit of Jesus? Like, was Jesus like a hologram, like floating in the road or something, like Princess Leia or something? Like, no, do not go here. Someone else needs you or something. We don't know. So I just assume it's like Star Wars. Like that's going to be my, my assumption until, until the Spirit says something different. So there's a hologram of Jesus. Well, that's not in the text, but I imagine there's a hologram of Jesus that says, sorry, you just went 100 miles on foot in the wrong direction. And then they're thinking, oh, man. God led them, interestingly, in these two first examples here, by what they were not supposed to do rather than what they were supposed to do. And that can be frustrating sometimes, but that's still leadership by the Holy Spirit, isn't it? And so this is what's happening. And then it says they keep going. They travel another 100 miles. And then they get to this point where they, you know, I would be kind of pouting and saying, forget it. But they keep listening. They keep paying attention. No doors are opening. And no offense to the cliche, but the windows don't seem to be opening either. And they just kept going. And they kept traveling. Finally, at night, they see a vision. Paul sees this vision. And, and he kind of says, I think this might be from God. You know, we never know for, for sure. But he says, I think this might be from God. And there's this man from the place, this geographical location, Macedonia, saying, come and help us. So he gets up in the middle of the night, and they just head out in the middle of the night. Now, you might think, some people might have said, Paul, could we just go back to sleep, wake up, get up, go in the daylight? But after all that time of hearing a no and not knowing what it is, you, notice how they just went. They just went as soon as they saw. So you, Paul has this dream, and I don't know if that dream, maybe that dream was like a hologram, like, Paul of Tarsus, come help us, you're our only hope. And so then they, you know, I couldn't resist that one, right? Because it's like Star Wars. So they woke up in the middle of the night, and then they had to go across the sea. And when they got there, there was no man from Macedonia hologram. There was no physical man of Macedonia there. And so they did something that they often did, and they found a place to pray. 
And in, in that culture at that time, like many cultures today, finding a place to pray looked like specific time frames to say, hey, this is a prayer time. And so they found a place to pray and they went to one of these specific places. Uh, sometimes I think we get a little nervous that if our prayer times, I'm not all of us, but I know I did not grow up in a tradition where there was very specific times to pray every day, even or every week. But, but what I recognize here is that they're doing something that they would have already been doing and coming to the Lord in the middle of this day because that was part of their, their routine and their ritual. And I think sometimes we get a little nervous that if we do that, then our faith might become a little rote or our prayer might just get a little stiff. And, and it can. But what about the times when you're coming to the Lord and there's something specific that God has for you? I think it has an opportunity for us to see how making these times of prayer in our life can actually, while some days, many days, feels just like a, a normal thing, the posture of listening and creating that in your life is powerful because this is what happens here in this story. So I want to read to you what happens as they go to find this place to pray. We're going to, start, we're going to skip over to verse 13. I'll have it on the screen. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. When we sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there, one of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. Translate, someone who sold expensive clothes. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house, and she persuaded us. I'm not totally sure how much she needed to persuade a group of probably primarily men to come stay in her household where they were in the fashion industry. <laughs> But she persuaded them, and they did. So do we see what happens here? Paul and his friends go to a place where they think there's going to be a place of prayer, and there's a group of women there, maybe because they were coming to find a place of prayer. And between these two people looking for a place of prayer, there is this, this God coincidence moment, right, where it's not a coincidence at all. And, and they meet Lydia, who is likely a very successful businesswoman in the fashion industry. And God, it says God opened up Lydia's heart. And her whole household was baptized. How many times am I like, how can I open this person's heart? Eh, no, it's God. God opened somebody's heart. And then their whole household was baptized. Now pay attention here for a second. Because when we think of household in maybe kind of predominant white culture, we think like, you know, a, a, a household of a nuclear family. That's what we mean by that word. But in Greek, the word is oikos, like the yogurt. Anyone else like the yogurt? It's Greek. It means family. It means household. And in this time, when you see household written in the book of Acts, what you should think of is not a nuclear family, not even just an extended family, but rather like uh, a compound that had multiple buildings, and there was usually, in many cases, lots of different families, almost like an economic system, where these were the people that worked together, and they were a part of this industry, in this case, a fashion industry. So when it says that Lydia and her whole household were baptized, we're not talking about like three other people. We're talking about a whole group of people that came to Jesus because of this encounter that they had. So the man from Macedonia turned out to be a woman in the fashion industry. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? <laughs> now, okay, let's just think about this for a second. I'm not sure why God didn't give Paul the vision of Lydia as a hologram, right? Like it could have been like, Paul, come find the women in the fashion industry. We're across the sea. But can you imagine Paul, especially at that time, coming down and being like, guys, I had a dream about a woman. She's a model. Like, they would have been like, Paul, you need to go back to sleep, do some praying in the Lord, and then go back to sleep and get up and we'll decide what we're going to do. 
contextually, do you see that though? Contextually, how God needed it to be a man so that he could come down. I just, I see that in the text. I see this idea of like a man from Macedonia needed help. But then he wasn't looking for that. But because Paul was ready and aware, he encountered Lydia because he was open and ready for anything. It wasn't like, I've done this before where I'm like, but God, I thought the picture was this exact thing. And God's like, look, I just did that to get you to keep moving, (laughs) okay? It wasn't a fortune-telling thing. Like I wanted to get you here. And what we know about Lydia is that she, my friend Joe calls her the gateway to Europe because the gospel's journey to Europe came and birthed out of this church, Lydia's a church planter, out of this church that started in Philippi out of her household and it flourished. And if you kind of follow the reality, you see that Lydia's resources, both spiritually and financially and physically, led to what many would say the gospel being spread throughout of all of Europe. She was the gateway to that, not to mention all these. I mean, how many different men from Macedonia benefited from that encounter with Lydia? I mean, countless, right? So it wasn't that the vision was wrong. It was just different than, than you imagined, but they followed anyway, and then they were open for whatever they might have seen and found. Paul could have missed it, but by this time in the story, by the time we get to Acts 16, Paul's ready for anything, okay? He's like, okay, whatever you have for me. When they didn't hear anything from God, this is what we notice. When they didn't hear anything from God, they kept moving. You notice they didn't just say, well, we don't hear anything, so we're just going to hunker down. They didn't. They kept going. When they saw what seemed like God, they made a move towards it. They weren't sure. They're never sure here. They, they think it might be, and then they move towards what they think seems like God, but they keep their eyes and their ears open. Ashes just prayed the prayer. We often pray, God, what do you want me to see? What do you want me to hear? And give us courage to respond and to follow. That's what we're about. We've been trying to do this at Mill City for the last 13 years here as a church. And there's so many things that I'm telling you we would have never had in the strategic plan. We would have never had in the here's a good idea brainstorming that came from listening and responding to God and keeping our eyes and ears open for things that we wouldn't have expected. And we've tried to do this. We keep moving when we don't feel like we're hearing anything, but we keep our eyes and ears open. And when we see something that seems like a dead end, we regroup and we figure out where to go next. And then when we see something that seems like God, we move towards it and we keep our eyes and our ears open. And we say, God, what is it that you want us to do? Because we know that the Spirit of God is constantly moving and inviting us into different things. It's us that need to have a growing awareness of what God's doing. And we encourage people to do that in their individual lives and a part of our our smaller households, our nuclear families, and, and friend groups as well. So when we think about our stories as a church of trying to follow the Spirit in our lives, uh, they're pretty different than the early church, and that's, that's, that makes sense. It's 2,000 years later, after all. It doesn't look exactly like Paul or like Lydia, but there are some things we can really learn from the way that they approach this. And there are some interesting similarities as well. So I just kind of have like three things that I, I see like might help us as we think about this as individuals and as a church. The first one is we just have to accept that there's not a roadmap, okay? Some of us have not accepted that yet, all right? Some of us are going like, maybe there's a map for me in the back of this Bible. I just didn't notice it yet or something. But we have to have a place of acceptance because then we can be open to what the Spirit might want to do. And then we have the opportunity, and I do think it's an opportunity, to rely on the Holy Spirit. It seems obvious, but I I still feel like, I'm like, is it in my glove compartment? Like, where's the map, (laughs) you know? And so it's something that we have to constantly pay attention to. We're not going to get a map. We might be able to draw one afterwards like they did, but we're not going to get one as we go. The second thing 
The Holy Spirit will get your attention at expected and unexpected times. If we're paying attention, the Holy Spirit will get your attention at expected and unexpected times. The Holy Spirit will interrupt sometimes when it's very unexpected, like when Paul had this vision in the middle of the night. At the same time, the Spirit got their attention when they were going to a place of prayer. What is prayer? Listening to God, speaking to God. They were going to a place to say we want to hear what God has for us. So do you see how there was an intentional time of listening, but also an unintentional interruption in the midst of the story? Lydia was at a place of prayer. And as I was mentioning, what would it look like for us, even in small ways, to create these regular spaces of prayer for us? It could just be in the car. You know, it could be, I know, I have known a, like multiple parents who have cleaned out a closet in their house to, to hide in there for a little bit of prayer. Like, I have known that. Sharon did that when, she, when her kids were young. I remember her telling me that. We had to get away, find some space. It doesn't have to be long. It doesn't have to be by a river like the story. But do we have those spaces where we might just say, hey, I'm listening, so that there might be things that God wants to say to us? Lydia was in that place of prayer. God might want to introduce us to something potentially life-changing, even if we go weeks without that in those times of prayer. But, but how many times had Lydia shown up to places of prayer before this moment? How many times had Paul, even on a journey, <laughs> made sure there was a, a time for prayer in his life? Here at Mill City, we try to have the expected spaces and then some kind of unexpected spaces as well where we pay attention to what might be happening. And we have to be careful not to assume that God's only going to speak in the expected space. So an example of an expected space for us is actually our covenant member meetings. If you are a covenant member at Mill City, you know we often spend some time listening and talking together about what we think God might be doing. There are so many decisions we've made as a church because of those times together. That's a time when we're saying, Holy Spirit, we expect you to, to speak to us here. But we've had people who have said, hey, I had this dream and I saw this vision and I don't know what this is about, but I'm just going to share it with you. And those dreams and those visions and those times when people say, I don't know, I just, this theme's coming up in my life and I'm sharing it with us because I think it has to do with our church. Just as often as those intentional times, those unexpected times has led us together as a church. And sometimes I think we get ourselves in this perspective that have you, and I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but have you ever said or heard someone say, God really showed up? Have you heard that phrase? Like, oh man, God showed up in that worship service. God showed up in that mission time. I, that's okay. I'm just saying, I think it's like we showed up to God, right? God is moving. God is active. We are joining what God is doing. And so we're the ones who need to show up. <laughs> and I don't show up often, I show up to a lot of other things sometimes in my life. Sometimes I show up to my anxiety. Sometimes I show up to my fear. Sometimes I show up to my pride and what I want to do, what's good for me. But I don't always intentionally show up to what God might want for me. And that is so key for us, to intentionally follow the Spirit together. And so we try to do that together as a church. Uh, in, in Acts, you see this phrase, what seems good to us and the Holy Spirit. They're so, so, so key there. The word seems means we're not totally sure. Okay, that's cool. That's encouraging, isn't it? They weren't totally sure. What seems good, good. Okay, it seems good. Maybe not perfect, right? To us, not just one person, but a community. And then the Holy Spirit, because we're trying to pay attention, even though it can be messy sometimes. So it can be messy. 
So the third thing I think helps us in this decision-making idea and how we discern, how we move forward together and listen to God is the idea of experimenting. If you have been a part of Mill City, you know that experimenting is something we talk about a lot. And we see it as a tool, not for the scientific method only, thank you scientific method, but we see it as a tool for discernment and creating space for us to pay attention to say, this seems good to us in the Holy Spirit, or this, this seems not good to us in the Holy Spirit. Jesus hologram says no, right? And so this is what we use this, this tool for. So I have these steps of experimenting we'll put on the screen. Now, I'm not a scientist, so if you are, I know some of you are, tell me later if I get this wrong, but here's some basic steps of experimenting, I think, okay? The first one is we have to define our question. What's the question we're trying to answer in our lives? So in this story, they were like, where do we go? We literally don't know. That was their question. And then two, do your research. And in this story, we can imagine that they were out in marketplaces asking questions, like wondering. We know that that happened in multiple places where they were just kind of walking around in their everyday spaces, listening for what God might be trying to do and say. So they did their research. And then they determined their first experiment. Now you see a couple experiments here. Okay, we're going to try to go to Mysia. We're going to try to go to Binthia. And they, they tried these experiments. And they figured out what the steps were, I'm sure. Who's going to get the boat? <laughs> Where are we going to go? And then after they do their experiment, they would analyze it and kind of review, well, what happened there? So once again, we don't see all the little details. But if you think about it, they got together. The, whatever the spirit of Jesus saying you can't go, they got together and they said, oh, did you see the hologram? Because I saw the hologram. What was that? What do we make of that? Once again, I, there is not technically a hologram in the text. That's just where, where I'm going with it. But they probably, every night, they get together and they just probably had a little debrief, like, what do we do next? And then the next day, another experiment, okay? The best thing about experiments is that you can't fail an experiment, right? I mean, I guess if you don't do it, then that's a failed experiment. But if you do the experiment and you're listening to God throughout it, then if you learn, if, if it goes differently than you thought, that's not a failure, that's just differently than you thought. That's just Jesus' hologram saying no. And so that is so helpful for us. What would it look like in your personal life as you're trying to discern following the Spirit? What, what would it look like for you to follow this process in decisions you're making? And who is going to do it with you? The analyze and review can, can be in a journal to God, totally. But honestly, for many of us, most decisions, we need to consider who are we bringing into that and how are we discussing this together. So for Mill City, over the years, we've had a lot of different experiments that have led us in places that we would have never imagined, like I said. If you didn't listen to Pastor Mike's sermon last week, the stories he told were so encouraging because we're, we're looking back, some of you are newer to Mill City, but this is your backstory now. And he was telling stories of God's power and how the Holy Spirit showed up in these ways, and we were showing up too, right? Do you see what, what happened there? We were going, I don't know, so we were, we were showing up to say, and then that's when we were ready. And, and many times it didn't feel like anything was going on and we thought, Holy Spirit, we're here. Are you going to show up? That's what it felt like, to be completely honest. But other times it felt like there was a clear invitation for us. Mike mentioned some of these things last week. Like the way we decided to end up worshiping at Sheridan was following this process. Uh, when we bought the Mill City Commons, which has been such a wonderful midweek space for our community, when uh, we ended up planting North City Church and now being a, a planting church for Espiritu Santo Iglesia, which is, I mean, that's a crazy story. I told that story a few weeks ago. Not in the strategic plan. Like, so cool. But it was uh, listening and responding. Uh, some of you know that as we experience hard things and the difficult realities of this world, we have a process where we talk about repenting, lamenting, and acting. Repent, lament, act. That was an experiment and a discernment process by our covenant members to say, 
I don't know that this is going to slow down. I think we're going to continue to have some stuff. And we had a process for a year where we said, what is going to be our response? And this is what emerged. And this was in the, the winter of 2019. Man, did we need this discerned process as we went through this last 18 months, two years. And, and so we had this experience together and we, we followed God through that. The way we were able to move through the pandemic and all of the changes that that brought. I mean, we found out on a Friday that we weren't going to be here on Sunday. You know, it was like Friday the 13th of March. <laughs> you know, that's, I, I'm not superstitious at all, but it was Friday the 13th. And, and then we, we had no, nothing to do. And we were listening and responding to God the whole time one experiment after the other. And we are right in the middle of what I think is a very exciting experiment, which Adobe mentioned earlier called, called our Housing and Homelessness Initiative. And that has been a discerned process as well. I can't tell you how many times we've been together as covenant members, listening and praying, and, and the idea of what God might want us to do, the question, find the question, what might God want us to do to join in what God's doing in this crisis in our city? That has come up time and time again. And as we've listened, we've determined different ways to respond over the years. But what really felt clear to us about um, maybe a year ago was, should we be thinking about a more uh, robust experiment in this area? And that's what we've been doing. So, so we got a, a team of people together and we said, okay, let's follow this process together. So I'm, I want to tell you how we did this, just to, to show it as an example. So we got this process together and we defined our question. How is God inviting Mill City Church specifically to join into the housing and homelessness crisis in our city? Then we did our research. Do you know that that group of people interviewed 30 different organizations that are doing this work in the Twin Cities and just brought some questions to them and just listened? And man, did we learn some significant things. Like, churches don't often listen in this area. Ah, whoops. And, and sometimes that means that, they, that their helping actually hurts. So we need you to learn, and we need you to pay attention, and we need you to, to make sure that you, you, you let us as leaders and experts uh, speak into this. And so what we ended up doing in our first experiment uh, with the team was we said, okay, let's figure out how we can all together be challenged to listen and learn and connect and give. So there's a, a, a on right now, you can go to millcitychurch.com slash challenge. And what you'll see there are some steps that a lot of us have already taken and we're inviting everyone to take to learn about what's going on, to be people who figure out how we can connect with the folks who are experiencing this, and there's some tips there. And then to be people who are, are serving. There's opportunities to serve, and there is a specific opportunity that we're going to let you know about this week at one of our partner churches, Elam Church, who has a, a ministry called Hope Avenue that's on Saturdays, and they've invited us to come. And then we'll be encountering and, and connecting and serving people who are experiencing homelessness. And then finally, to give. We listed our partners there. And we just said, you know, even if it's $5, even if it's five, 500, whatever it is, would we say we want to give some of our resources to this because we care about it? We learned so much during these experiments. One of the things we learned was specifically about youth homelessness and the reality that if somebody experiences homelessness before they're 24, the likelihood that they're going to be chronically homeless for the rest of their life is significant. But you know what else we learned? We learned that if somebody who is a young adult between 18 and 24, if they're able to not be homeless and unhoused, we would say, to not be unhoused for more than 30 days consecutively, then the, the chance that they will not be chronically homeless goes down significantly. Do you see the opportunity there? To make sure that these kids are never unhoused in our city 
because that's a prevention for the, the way things will go. We didn't, we didn't know that, but we learned during the experiment. And then today, we're doing another experiment, and you're invited, as Adobe mentioned. Uh, this, this group's called Yard Homes Minnesota. We didn't know they existed. It came out of our conversations. It was like we did an interview, and then they connected to us with this person, and this person, and this person, and we ended up in a conversation where they said, what we do, and we're just starting, is we're going to help people build what they call accessory dwelling units in their yards. So some of you know that that's something that in Minneapolis, St. Paul, I think Richfield, Brooklyn Center, and other cities, they're starting to allow this to bring what they call is missing middle housing. And guess what an accessory dwelling unit is perfect for? A young adult who needs a house. <laughs> and these guys are paying for it, raising the money, inviting other people to raise the money, and all they're looking for right now is people who say, yes, I'll do this in my backyard. I'm going to make a commitment for 10 years at no cost to you. And I'm, I'm taking them on a tour of a couple properties that I have next week to say, well, can we do it here? This is what we can learn about. And it might not be your yard, but there's a way for all of us to participate in that, isn't there? And then the, the relationships that could come from the youth that get to stay in these homes that are designed intentionally for them, not somewhere in, you know, off, but in, in a yard of another family. Can you just picture how incredible that could be? So we don't know. We don't know. That's the vision, right? It's the man from Macedonia. We don't know exactly what the picture is going to be when we get there, but what we know is we've got to keep on moving. So coming and just learning from them this afternoon is, is the way that we're going to do that. Why church? Because when the church is intentionally following the lead of the Holy Spirit, it will be good news to the world around them. We believe that all of us in the church have the ability to listen to God. I hope you heard that from me today, that it's not that the pastors or the leaders or the elders go off somewhere and come back and say, all right, here's what God said. But we all do. And the, the job of the leaders is to listen to you and to, to try to make some meaning of that and then say, okay, here's what we're going to try. All right, that's, that's our job. It's not an easy one, but it's, it's awesome and I love it. And so today, we want to just practice this today. I've got some folks who will bring these uh, post-it notes down. And um, I, very simply, I just want you to think about, is there something that God might be saying to Mill City Church? You definitely don't have to know for sure. A sentence, a word, a thought. Or maybe you could even just write a prayer down for our church. Maybe you're visiting today and, and you go to a different church, but you just have a prayer for our church or you've heard something for our church. I want to take the pressure off. Don't, don't worry about it. We always listen to a lot of different people. But if you don't have a post-it note, raise your hand and, and they'll, bring, they'll bring them down to you. And then as we go into this time of worship, you can bring your post-it note and put it on one of these whiteboards so that we have them to be able to say, God, what are you saying through your church? And we've done this before and it has changed things significantly. So just whatever comes in your mind, whatever comes into your heart. And we're going to take communion too. And, and I love that as a time of saying, okay, I'm taking this communion, which represents the body of Christ and the blood of Christ, right? The, the blood of Christ that was shed for us and the body of Christ that was given for us. And so we come to Jesus and we say, thank you, I'm listening. If you prayed one prayer a day and it was thank you, I'm listening, that would be a game changer. So that's the prayer I invite you to pray as you take communion this morning, as we go into this time of worship. And whenever you feel ready, just come and place that post-it note up here for us. Uh, knowing that we'll pray over it and listen and, and don't feel too much pressure. But please, we would love everyone to participate in that way.